Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 7 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. And we've been working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. More and more as I get older, as I lose more hair, as I uh, advance in years, I realize more and more that I just, as was being sung earlier, want more of Jesus and more of God. The things around us, the earth around us, will fail us. They will not show up when we need it to. But God remains through everything, through every season, Jesus remains. And really, that is the pureness of the gospel. It was a person that we were coming into relationship with, not a religion we were stepping into of rules and regulations. And I'm finding more and more that as I grow older, I just simply want more of that relationship with Jesus. You know, when you look at the church and when you look at the nation, a lot of times the church doesn't add up the way that we want it to. It doesn't work or function the way that we want it to. And we have all kinds of problems in the churches. We, it, it, it never stops. You know, they say, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it, right? Because um, there, there is no uh, perfect church, but there is a perfect one. And his name is Jesus. And that is the one that we first came in contact with. That is the one whom we first came into relationship with. That is the one who wooed us in awe, awe, and we became in awe of. It was when we saw his grace, when we saw his mercy, when we saw his forgiveness upon our lives that we are changed and we become Christ followers, Jesus followers. And it really comes back to the simplicity of him. So I love this Jesus worldview. I want to look through his eyes. I want to know his heart. I want to know his, his mind. His view on life. What does he want? We're working through Matthew chapter 7 in our Bibles, and we are working through this entire book of Matthew. We have kind of baby-stepped through this Sermon on the Mount because it's so amazing. The breakdown and the detail of what Jesus is saying to his disciples is extremely important. And we are in sermon number 33 today through the book of Matthew in chapter 7. The title of the message today is Examine the Tree Before You Eat. Examine the tree before you eat, if you're taking notes. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard it too. Tom, you know, he was at the hospital visiting with his best friend Larry, who sadly was dying. Tom asked, if there is a baseball, if there is a baseball game in heaven, will you come back and tell me when you get there? Larry nodded yes, just as he was passing away. He was closing his eyes. He was breathing his last. And that night while Tom was sleeping, he heard Larry's voice in a dream. Tom, Larry, what is it? Asked Tom. I have good news and I have bad news from heaven. Really? He said, what's the good news? He says, there's baseball in heaven after all. It is happening up here. He says, well, what's the bad news? The bad news is, is you're pitching on Tuesday. joke. It's not a true story. Don't worry. You know, 
as a new believer, when I stepped into the church, I believed everything. I believed anything and everything that was being brought to my attention in Christianity because I figured that everybody who is a Christian must just have the purest heart and the purest motive and want the best for everyone. I'll never forget somebody gave me a book on the Holy Spirit by Benny Hen. And I, by the grace of God, I consumed this entire book like within a week or two. And I was full of the Holy Spirit, man, and I was fired up. And I, I thought everybody meant well. I didn't know what else to do. I was just hungry. I wanted to know God. I wanted relationship. I wanted to understand the Holy Spirit. So I just digested everything that I possibly could. And I, I don't think that this is a bad thing up front. I love the fervent desire for believers and new believers um, especially who are just hungry, man. They just want to know God. And that's not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. And by the grace of God, as I digested things, all of a sudden there would be people who would come around me who loved me and encouraged me. And I said, dude, I just read the Benny Hinn book. This thing is amazing. You know, it's not, it's, well, come over here. You know, let's talk about it. You know, we sit down and we'd open the Bible and they'd start sifting through and explaining the work of the Holy Spirit without absolutely hammering me and crushing me. Very gracious and helping me understand how the Holy Spirit works and what He's up to. We would come to find out, uh, you know, way down the road that uh, these kind of guys were working people over and taking their money and doing all kinds of weird things from behind the scenes. But... God in His grace still used it to draw me close to Him. And I'm thankful. I remember a guy who came into the church not long ago. He was kind of shocked to discover how many people, when, when it was being explained to him by one of the other brothers, were not safe in the world of Christianity. And he's like, wait, what? Isn't everybody in the same boat? Isn't this all in the same boat? Well, not exactly. And the fact that we even have to break this down and explain it is semi-sad, but we know that as we grow older, sure, we cannot trust everybody right up front, but we should have a heart to want to believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, love all things, because that's what love does. And to be that way up front with people really is a generous act. It's being kind, and it's hard to do that here in this city, because we know a lot of people sometimes are not always working with the best motives here. We want to believe that up front. It doesn't always work out. But church, I want to encourage you to, yes, it's okay to grow the skin of a rhino, right? But to keep the heart of a child, to stay soft on the inside, and to, to love and serve people right where they're at regardless. The church is supposed to be a safe environment. And sadly, well, I should say, and for healthy churches, it is praise God. But sadly, there, it can become a place where if we uh, share that we are a sinner, sometimes uh, people are like, oh no, get away, what, what, what are you doing? It's like, wait, we forgot that we're all sinners in here. And they don't have sinner cooties on them simply because they have confessed something. We are all in the same boat. We all need Jesus the same. And we all need enough grace 
to be able to work through our thinking and understanding of God and grow and mature relationship with Him. And this is a process, and I'm thankful that there are men and women in my life who helped me through the process and were gracious. It didn't show up and cut me because I had a Benny Hen book. We've got to figure out, family, had to examine the tree and to identify without walking up with an axe every single time. So wanting to cut the thing down. We have to be able to, like Jesus, walk up to those who don't know him and are being introduced to him and with grace and with mercy and with kindness and with gentleness, no doubt with truth, no doubt with righteousness. Meet them right where they're at. Minister to them, love them and serve them turn them in the right direction. This is what we're talking about today. Examine the tree before you eat. Our Lord Jesus encourages us today to examine the tree before we eat its fruit. We're in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read through verses 15 to 20. If you want to stand for the reading of God's word, we'll do so today. We do it every single week to pay honor to our God and to remember whose words we are reading. These words belong to the Lord Jesus, to which we are thankful for them. And he is teaching us, his disciples, really what to watch out for, really how to navigate this world. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, it says, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Let's pray. Lord, we pray with wonderful, beautiful grace you would help us to navigate the waters of our society and the spiritual battle that's going on trying to pull us away from you ultimately. Lord, we want to enjoy the good fruit of your spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Lord, we want the fruit of your spirit in our lives, and we want to feast on that with brothers and sisters around us. We pray, Lord, for a supernatural harvest, that would come forth at Legacy, that would come forth in our city, that trees, your trees, would start to produce fruit tenfold, fiftyfold, a hundredfold, and we would walk in the goodness of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand this and to walk in it today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. These are difficult sections of Scripture that many Christians oftentimes don't know what to do do with. Because we're told earlier in this chapter by Jesus not to judge one another lest you be judged. Judge not lest you be judged. We talked about this. The same judgment that you measure on others will be measured upon you as well, he said. We are called to test people and recognize them by their fruit. But how do we not judge them, but also examine? How do we find this balance? 
Jesus tells us to do so, that we are to examine a tree before we eat of it. It's very important, lest you eat a diseased tree, a diseased piece of fruit. Notice that Jesus starts and ends this point with verse 16 and verse 20. Verse 16 and verse 20, he says the same exact thing. You will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. What kind of fruit is on the tree? It's an orange tree. Yes. You know what kind of tree it is. It's very easy to point out. Is that a Christian tree or is it not a Christian tree? It's very easy to just look. It doesn't matter how loud the tree is shouting that it is an orange tree. If it has apples on it, it is clearly not an orange tree. doesn't matter how loud. doesn't matter how vocal. We need to look at the fruit of the tree. We need to look at the, the life of the tree. You'll recognize them. Recognize is the word that Jesus uses. You will understand, you will know, you will identify by the fruit on the tree. Jesus gives us a picture to illustrate his point. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, of course not. You're not even going to go, you know, a tumbleweed is blowing by from the Santa Ana winds. You're going to run up and see if there's grapes on it. No, never. Or you're going to walk up to a grapevine and you're going to expect to find grapes. So every healthy tree, he says, bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Notice he uses the word diseased and healthy. Diseased and healthy. The contrast. Bad or good. Corrupt or not. The picture is not two trees produce, produces good fruit to eat and the other is rotten. No, the word is corrupt or diseased. This shows us that the fruit can look the same. Can look the same, but one can be perfectly good and taste perfect, and the other can look perfect, but taste sour or diseased. Interesting, you use the word diseased and healthy. You don't know if someone has a disease. You don't know if someone is working through something. They could be in the early stage of cancer and about to fight it off and beat it off, but there may be something going on inside, but outwardly you can't see any of it. The same thing with a tree many times is you don't know if it is disease until you crack it open. You ever pull an avocado off the tree and uh, you leave it out a little bit too long and you're like, it looks right though. And you pick it up, you're like, oh, I can't wait for some avocado. The last one. I'm so excited. I'm going to put this on my turkey sandwich. Let's go. You start to open that baby up. You crack it open. It's black. But it looks so good. I even put it in the fridge to make sure that it would last a little longer. Looks perfect, but tastes diseased. When I think of the word corrupt, I think of oftentimes those who outwardly are perfectly polished, but inwardly they have plans to deceive. No way. There can't be people like this on the planet. Nobody would ever do that. Politician. <clears throat> Is that okay? Come on, lighten up. 
On both sides, it doesn't matter what side. It, it, it always is. It's so slick. Looks so great. It's anthematic. It's very emotional. It works. And then behind it, it's like, wait a minute, what's going on under there? This is what Jesus is trying to show us in those who claim to be Christians, even can fake it and look it on the outside for a while, but inside can be diseased. Not the true article. You see, it comes back to the heart. That's what's always mattered. I can put on the robe and the garbs and the hat, and I can, you know, swing some gold thing around here with some smoke and make you think like, dude, that guy's holy. I'll grow up my beard down to here, and I can fool you. But in the end, it, it matters really what's going down in here, in my heart. Hey, if you want to dress that way and act that way, that's perfectly fine. But in the end, God will be looking at the heart. You can't fool him with the exterior. The tree looks like an orange, though. It looks like an avocado. But is it healthy? Is it okay? Be careful. Diseased fruit can look similar on the outside, but on the inside is corrupt and sour. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's warning us about being deceived by outward appearance to recognize the tree by its fruits. How do we figure out the type of fruit a person is bearing? We have to inspect it. Inspect the fruit and taste it. You inspect the fruit and taste it. I've only been in LA seven years, but this is something that I'm, I'm growing in and I'm understanding that, see, there, there's, there's a lot of, um, we, we, we have these, uh, the way that we carry each other, uh, we carry ourselves and one another here in LA, there's this um, introduction banter that goes on in which we, um, you know, we, we are very cordial, we'll even be very kind up front, and we'll kind of, uh, we'll play this game of, of smiles and, uh, and all of these things up front. And it's, it's this, it's this the, the first foundation, the first barrier in which you come into a relationship with somebody here in L.A. And we're all very, very, well, a lot of people are very, very good at this. And it's near impossible to know what's really going on inside because we have a way, because we have to do it all the time. And so we have a way of being able to put on the correct demeanor in order to make a good impression, in order to allow us to get somewhere. And because everyone has to do this in this city, we become very good at it. And, uh, and, and, and this then causes us to distrust people. Because we do this over and over and then once we fruit inspect and we understand where somebody's at, we're like, whoa. Like, I didn't expect that. I didn't think that was going on there. I, did, I don't understand. I thought everything was cool. And it's just something that we have to work through as people here in our city. But what I'm learning more and more in the longer is to set a demeanor within myself and a mindset that the value of someone... I should say, the not the value of someone. We're all made in the image of God. Everyone is equally valuable. I should say it this way. The, the perception that you have of someone should be determined by the fruit of the Spirit that that person produces long-term. So it's like, whoa, this person is rich. Why do we give so much weight to that? 
And why not, wow, this person is kind. That's actually more valuable. Wow, this person has status. Wow, this person is humble. Maybe they have both. Status, but extremely humble. Amazing. Um, Wow, this person can make me that connection in the workplace and get me that opportunity so that I can get promoted. But this guy over here is gracious. We're weighing each other incorrectly. And I think that Jesus wants us to get back to identifying people in this way, examining the fruits to see what's really going on inside. And look, we all have to go back to society and continue on putting on that smile and being kind to people and doing as best we can. It's the way our society functions. But at the end of the day, I hope that you would be examining to see if there is deep spiritual value on the inside, what is going on inside of a person, and that we would not be so overtaken by what is happening on the outside. How is their character? How is their integrity? I taught a message last week titled Wolves in Preacher's Clothing because we talked about pastors who could put on the exterior, but inwardly were actually doing all kinds of terrible things. Some people ask me, how do I become a pastor? They'll come up and say, I want to get into ministry. How do I become a pastor? And I say, you can't. It has to be a supernatural work of God by which supernaturally you meet the qualifications found in 1 Timothy 3. And if you can't meet those qualifications by the grace of God, God has a different calling on your life. Do not go after the role of being elder or pastor. Because we are told by James they will be judged more harshly than everyone else. But what are the qualifications of an elder? What does it look like? It comes back to integrity and character. There is an analyzing of the family. There is an analyzing from outsiders. What do people think of that person? There is an analyzing from the leadership within the church. There is an analyzing from the congregation. Do all affirm and see that they have met these qualifications of character and integrity and somehow have an ability to teach and communicate God's word to which people actually learn and grow spiritually? Does all of this happen? And if all of those qualifications magically happen by the grace of God, then we have no choice but to follow God's lead and say, that is a pastor, that is an elder. And that's how we're to come to that place. But notice it doesn't matter how cool the exterior is. It doesn't matter how much charisma. It doesn't matter how much whatever on the exterior. People can work over crowds all over the place. That's not what the calling is about. Paul's farewell to the Ephesians, he talks about this. To the Ephesian elders, the pastors there in Ephesus, in Acts 20, 28, he says, brothers, pastors, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. And then He says this to them. He's telling this to pastors. He says, Pastors, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. He says, Watch out. 
Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. Paul is warning the leadership of the church, be careful. Diseased fruit is going to show up within these churches, even the church in Ephesus. Be on watch. The sneakiest thing the enemy could ever do is come in here and divide us. Come in here and tear us apart, get us mad at each other, get us bitter at each other. We're worshiping next to each other, but we can't even fellowship with one another. This is the worst thing that could ever happen because it hurts you, it hurts me, it hurts our relationship with God. Jesus is also warning against those who are trying to be a Christian just through outward appearance when there has been no real heart change. Don't try to be a Christian. Don't do it. There must be, Keith Green describes it like this. He's like, it's like waking up from the longest dream. How real it all seemed until your love broke through. He says, I was lost in a fantasy until your love broke through. It is truly like seeing in black and white and all of a sudden you can see in color. Coming into relationship with God, everything looks different. Everything feels different. Where is that conviction coming from? Why do I desire to be close to God? It is believing on the Lord Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. I remember the day that it happened for me. I remember waking up. I remember I was just doing church as a young person, and I remember there was one day, all of a sudden, I had desires I never had before in my life. I had a pulling and a drawing to walk with God. I was convicted of the sin around me. It would paralyze me when I'd do wrong or try to run from God, especially as a young person. I'd be overwhelmed, be paranoid. My own sin. We come into relationship with God, there is a new desire that shows up. It's a desire to be in relationship with Him. Becoming a Christian is really a moment of rebirth. A new person comes forth completely, completely different from the past. A new heart, a new mind. The person God is calling, they go really from death, dead in sin, to alive in Christ. There is a spiritual resurrection that changes them forever from the inside out. Thank you for that amen. <laughs> Rebirth, little baby. A new birth. A new person. A new creation. All things have passed, passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Seeing new, hearing new, thinking new, new, heart, new feelings, new desires doesn't mean that everything is perfect overnight or everything changes perfectly overnight. But all of a sudden, I was this way the day before. I had no desire to seek God. The next day, all of a sudden, I have a longing to want to walk with God for the rest of my life. Where did this come from? How do I take this and insert this into you? I can't. Only God can do this. And it is the moment when someone cries out to God and begs Him for forgiveness and relationship, and He shows up supernaturally and gives them a new heart, resurrects them and raises them to life. This is salvation. This is the tree 
that produces fruit. It just gets watered and it just produces. Just produces. Sure, are there a couple bad pieces of fruit on that tree sometimes? Sure. Are there a couple years where the fruit is real tight and it's like, oh, not producing very much this year now, are we? Yes. Are there years when we need to be pruned back? We need to cut that tree back and it may not even produce as much fruit as we'd like. Yeah, absolutely. But man, that tree is just going to start to produce the fruit and the goodness of God. It can't help it. Why do we see some people bear a little fruit so it seems they look like Christians and then they're gone? Or they look like a Christian and acted like it for two or three years and then now they're gone. What happened to those people? Are they Christians? I want to believe so. But many may not be. This, is, this happened to one of my close friends. He was in the church. He's working for the church he looked and acted saved from what I could tell, and he later told me after he left the church that he didn't even know if he was ever saved. I'm like, what? How is that possible? Is God gracious enough to let someone like that into heaven? Yes, he is. His grace goes far beyond what we could ever imagine. The fact that you're getting into heaven, the fact that I'm getting into heaven is a miracle. Can God save that person? He absolutely can. But if their life produces a life of bad fruit and it's clear they are not following and walking with Jesus, how can they be a Christian? Maybe they are a prodigal son or daughter, backslidden, it may be. But those are treacherous waters. And I don't want to be sailing on those. That person's on a slippery slope to hell. And they may have never been saved. Only God knows. They must be forgiven. They must be brought into close relationship with Him. We are to be cautious to make sure we are not surrounding ourselves with lukewarm Christians and trying to make sure that we ourselves are not being lukewarm. Jesus says, I desire you hot or cold. Please don't just get comfortable in the middle. Who likes lukewarm coffee? It's the worst. It's like hot or cold, please, right? We want it piping hot when it's freezing out, or we want an iced coffee, you know? But just that, like, that, that it's just been sitting out, you know, half the day, and you're just like, you over and sip on it, you're like, no. What about lukewarm French fries? Isn't that like the worst thing ever? It's the worst. Jesus says this in Revelation. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. He says, don't be lukewarm. It makes me want to vomit. It makes me want to spit you out of my mouth, he actually says. The Lord Jesus 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all were not of us. John says that those that step into the church for a little while and get fired up and then leave the church, he's saying that they probably were not of us in the beginning. And it was a surface relationship an exciting moment of religion, an exciting moment of a new experience, but there was no real relationship with God. A real relationship like you have with your friend. A real relationship like you have with your father, with your mother. A real relationship. Not a game of religion. Jesus in Matthew 13 gives a parable 
of the sower. The seed being planted on different types of ground. I want you to see this because he, he lays out the human heart and what generally happens in the church and what generally happens when the word of God goes out. It's found in Matthew 13, if you want to turn there. It's just a couple pages to the right. If you get to the book of Revelation, you've gone way too far, okay? Only a couple chapters to the right. Matthew 13, look at verse 1. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. He tells them a story. He says this, A sower went out to sow. This is a farmer. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. I love when Jesus says that. He says, he, he or she who has ears, let him hear. If you can hear what it means, then hear. If you can't, then you better come and talk with me. Let me give you ears to hear. Let me give you a heart that understands. Let me resurrect your life, Jesus is saying. Maybe some of you today need to say, God, open my ears. Help me. Person number one, Jesus talks about, he actually explains it. Look at verse 18. Hear the parable of the sower. He says, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. He describes four different types of people. The first person is the person who comes into church they hear the word of God, they respond to God, and they walk out of this place. The seed was throw, thrown out to them. This is the word of God. The word of God tries to take root in their heart. But because it wasn't sown on good soil, it says that the enemy comes and snatches away the seed, and it never takes root. It means they come into church, they hear the word of God, and they go back out there and are tempted beyond their means, what they think they can handle. The enemy comes away and snatches them completely away from the church and they go right back into the ways of the world. Maybe you know somebody like this. Person number two, Jesus says, verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is one, the one who hears the word of God and it immediately is received with joy. Yet he has no roots in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the the word, immediately he falls away. This is the person who comes to church. They hear the word of God and explosive joy happens. Like they are just the most joyful, happy person full of the things of God. But because the seed never takes root, when the storms of life come, when tribulation and persecution, when hard times come because there is no root, that seed dies off very quickly and is just brushed away by the wind, brushed away by the rain, brushed away, brushed away by a storm. You see this. 
Somebody comes into church, they're fired up, they start worshiping God, then something really bad happens in life, and they're like, I guess God isn't there. And they just leave the church. They leave their relationship with God because they don't have roots. The roots, letting the word of God have deep root in your heart, you would come to understanding by understanding God's word that the trials and tribulation, Jesus actually promised them roots. In this world, in this life, you will have tribulation, he promised. But take heart, I've overcome the whole world. Don't worry, I got this. I'm going to carry you through it. Tribulation and persecution, roots in these things and the storms that come in life produce godliness. They make us stronger. They anchor us. Every storm anchors you deeper. Every storm pushes your roots deeper into the ground. Person number three is verse 22. Jesus explains, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and is proven unfruitful. So now we have the person who, again, hears the word of God, gets excited about God, wants to walk with God, but the cares of the world... The pleasures of the world show up and the world starts to choke them out. First, it was the devil, the enemy, who literally comes up and snatches away. Then we have the tribulations and the trials and the, this is the difficulties of life that show up. And now we have the cares of the world show up and it becomes difficult and hard. And these things, the pleasures, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches will choke someone out and steal them away from God. So Jesus said it's difficult for a rich person into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they're full of the things of the world. Sadly, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. The love of money. Greed. This is why people hurt and hate and destroy and tear down one another. Jesus says this is one of the things that pulls people away. They get so caught up in the things of the world, the cares of the world. They say, forget the church. I'm going after the world. Finally, person four. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields it, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirtyfold. Your heart is softened. It's not rocky ground. And the seed of God's word goes into your heart and it takes root. And the depth of your relationship with God starts to grow and then you're tempted. You say, Jesus is better. And then the storm in life comes along and it tries to knock you down and, and take away everything. And you say, no, God has promised he's going to carry me through these storms. Then the cares of the world show up and somebody offers you this or this or this and the world wants to make a deal with you and pull you away from God and you say, no, no, Jesus is better. I have all the wealth in the world in Him. What do I need that for? I want Him. And the roots take hold and the tree starts to sprout and the fruit starts to show up. The fruit of the Spirit happens. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing when it happens. Jesus already declares this is what's going to happen in the church, and this is what happens with even with his preaching and with those who are preaching in the New Testament. 
Jesus is giving a warning to examine the tree before we eat of it. Make sure it is a Christian tree. I don't want to create panic in the church where everyone is skeptical of everyone. Please, let's not do that. But I want the church to be aware just as Jesus is aware. We have already had many people come and go through the church over the years. Some Christians, some not. God's in control of all of that. That's okay. We rest in his plan for the church. But it's my job to do two things, just to make sure there are no wolves in sheep's clothing trying to deceive or hurt or take advantage of the sheep in the church. We need to work hard as a church to make sure there's no division amongst us. And finally, it's my job to make sure that we work hard at helping each believer to walk with the Lord, to be encouraging, to be watering those plants, and to be helping one another to have their tree take root in God's Word to produce ample fruit into the future, which the city can eat of and enjoy the fruit of the Spirit living and producing in us. I want to make sure we are a people of His Word. You know your God well. You know what God's up to because you know His Word. We are a people of prayer. We're people who talk to our God. We spend time with Him. We don't just talk about Him all the time. We talk with Him. We go to Him in prayer. We know Him. Somebody tries to say something about our God. It's like, really? I spoke to Him this morning. I don't think that's Him. Who are you talking to? That's not Him. And even if you have bad examples around you of Christianity, you're able to look beyond that and say, I know the one who is Christ. I look to Him. We're all struggling. We're all working through it. We're all trying to figure it out. We are a people who love and serve one another because our God loves and serves us. We are a people who make disciples because he has made us disciples. This is what we naturally do as we are rooted in him, as we walk with him. It's what comes forth in our lives. Galatians 5.22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. It's going to happen. Get ready. This week, he's going to produce more love in you, more joy in you, more peace in you, more patience in you, more kindness in you, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control. As you anchor in Him, as you worship Him, as you pray with Him, as you grow in your relationship with Him, it's going to happen. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. We no longer walk in those ways. We now walk in this way. I want to give you three things as we close. They're very fast. Are you ready? Number one, please Examine churches, a church's fruit, please. If you here at Legacy for the next 10 years, thank you. Praise God. We're going to be, it's going to be awesome running together. Examine the church. Let's make sure there's not disease amongst us. Let's, let's examine, let's produce good fruit under the glory of God here. If you go to another church, examine the church. Make sure it's producing good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Number two, examine one another. Please examine one another. Don't judge. Just examine. Make sure we're doing okay. Examine friends, family, stranger, anyone who claims to be a Christian. We are called to examine. 
Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has sinful heart, unbelieving heart, that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hey, some weeks you need to be encouraged. And other weeks they need to be encouraged. And many weeks in the future we need to encourage one another. I don't know what week that you're on, Sometimes it's a receiving week for me. Sometimes it's a helping someone else and encouraging someone else week for me. But let's be examining, encouraging, and building up, sharpening one another. Finally, examine your own fruit. Pull a piece of fruit off the tree and break it open. Allow yourself to examine the own fruit of your life. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Lord, I believe I'm saved today. I'm going to walk and live like I'm saved today. And I hope that I'm going to arrive saved on the shores of heaven one day. Lamentations 3.40, let us examine and probe our ways. Let us return to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11.28, each one must examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks the cup. Examine ourselves. Come to the Lord and pray. Psalm 139, verse 23. I love this psalm. The end of the psalm, the psalmist says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Opening your heart and saying, God, examine me. Search me. Know me. Reveal what's going on. We're going to pray and we're going to go before the Lord and we're going to turn to the Lord with all of our hearts in this moment. God is working in us, church, and I believe he wants to bring us back into close relationship with him again. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for everyone gathered here today. I pray now as we reflect on your gospel that you would save, that you would resurrect, that you would bring to life. We remember, Lord, that we and know that we have sinned against you. We realize that Jesus has come down to the earth to die for our sin, to forgive us of our sin, taking our punishment so that we can be right with you, God. We thank you that he rose from the dead and has promised us a new life of resurrection, old things passing away, all things becoming new. Lord, we choose in this moment to repent of our sins and to turn away from the way that we've been living and to turn to you with all of our hearts. True repentance, a true life in walking with you. Lord, I pray that you would work in us now, that you would save, that you would minister to us bring us in close relationship with you while our heads about our eyes are closed and we're praying you say pastor josh that's actually me i know why i'm here today i know why god brought me here because i need to commit my life to god i need to recommit my life to him lord you know who you are ministering to, you know who you're working in, and I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would push us towards you.
towards love, towards grace, towards peace, towards forgiveness, towards complete surrender to you. While we're praying, you're thinking to yourself, that's me. I need to turn to the Lord. I need to make things right with him today. I know why I'm here. If that's you, would you raise up your hand? I'd love to pray for you right now. God bless you and you. Anybody else? God bless you in the back. Anybody else? Would you raise up your hand? God bless you over here. Anyone else? You feel God ministering to you and speaking to you and you want to move in the direction of him as a sign of faith. Would you raise up your hand and say, that's me, God. Please save me. God bless you. Anybody else? You need to make a recommitment to the Lord. You need to turn on him in repentance and just say, you are the Lord. You are my Savior. Work in me. Anybody else, would you raise up your hand? Let me pray for you. Amen. God bless you in the back. Amen. God bless all of you. Let me pray for you now. Lord, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. And I pray for everybody who has raised their hand, Lord, that you would work in their hearts now, that you would save them, that you would forgive them, you would minister to them. You would meet them where they're at and you would forgive them of all of their past. You'd make things new. You'd bring them to life. Would you be Lord and Savior? Would you be friend and king? Would you help us walk with you from this day forward? Would you make things new? We give our lives to you now. We turn our lives over to you and we pray, God, that you would use us for your glory as we walk in the ways of you. Bless our relationship with you. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. Bless your people. Fill us with your spirit, new and afresh. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.